This is the Witnesses of History podcast, presented by Jeff Longley. Hello and welcome to the Witnesses of History. We have uh, three readings for you this time, two of them dated the 16th of January. And we start in Rome in 1645 with John Evelyn's report from the 16th of January. I went to the ghetto where the Jews dwell, as in a suburbs by themselves, being invited by a Jew of my acquaintance to see a circumcision. Here I pass by the Piazza Judea, where the Seraglio begins. For being environed with walls, they are locked up every night. In this place remains yet part of a stately fabric, which my Jew told me had been a palace of theirs, for the ambassador of their nation in former times, when their country was subject to the Romans. There was a large inscription on it that I could not stay to read. Being led through the synagogue into a private house, I found a world of people in a chamber. By and by came an old man who prepared and laid in order diverse instruments brought by a little child of about seven years old in a box. These the man laid in a silver basin. The knife was much like a short razor to shut into the haft. Then they burnt some incense in a censer, which perfumed the Rome all the while the ceremony was doing. In the basin was also a little cap made of white paper like a capuchin's hood, not bigger than my finger, also a paper of red astringent powder, I suppose of bowl, a small instrument of silver cleft in the midst, at one end to take up the prepuce withal, clouts of fine linen wrapped up, and so on. These all, in order the women from out of another chamber, brought the infant swaddled, and delivered it to the rabbi, who carried and presented it before an altar or cupboard dressed up, on which lay the five books of Moses and the commandments a little unrolled. Before this, with profound reverence and mumbling a few words, he waved the child to and fro a while, then he delivered it to another rabbi who sat all this time upon a table. He, taking it in his hands, put it between his thighs, whilst the other Jew unbound the blankets were about to come at the flesh. At this action, all the company fell a-singing of a Hebrew hymn, and in as barbarous a tone, waving themselves to and fro, a ceremony they observe in all their devotions. The infant now stripped from the belly downwards, the Jew took the yard of the child and chafed it within his fingers till it became a little stiff. Then, with the silver instrument before described, which was held to him in the basin, he took up as much of the propatium as he could possibly gather, and so, with the razor, did rather sore than cut it off, at which the miserable baby cried extremely, whilst the rest continued their odd tone, rather like howling than singing. Then the rabbi, lifting the belly of the child to his face and taking the yard all bloody into his mouth, he sucked it a pretty well, having before taken a little vinegar, all which together with the blood he spit out into a glass of red wine of the colour of French wine. This done, he stripped down the remainder of the foreskin as far and near to the belly as he could, and so as it appeared to all be raw, then he strewed the reed powder on it to stanch the bleeding, and covered it with the paper hood, and upon all a clout, and so swathed up the child as before. All this while they continue their psalm, 
Then two of the women and two men, viz. he who held the child and the rabbin who circumcised it, the rest, I suppose, were the witnesses, drank some of the wine mingled with the vinegar, blood and spittle, so ended the slovenly ceremony. And the rabbin cries out to me in the Italian tongue, perceiving me to be a stranger, Ecco, signor mio, un miracolo di Dio, because the child had immediately left crying. The Jews do all in Rome wear yellow hats and live only upon brokage and usury, very poor and despicable beyond what they are in other territories of princes where they are permitted. Our next account is also from the 16th of January, this time 1809, Sir Charles Napier's report of being taken prisoner at Corona. The British victory at Corona enabled Sir John Moore's army to embark and leave Spain, but Moore himself was mortally wounded. Sir Charles Napier, author of this account, survived to become conqueror of Sindh. I said to the four soldiers, Irish privates of the 50th and 42nd, follow me and we will cut them through. Then with a shout I rushed forward. The Frenchman had halted, but now ran on to us, and just as my spring was made, the wounded leg failed, and I felt a stab in the back. It gave me no pain, but felt cold and threw me on my face. Turning to rise, I saw the man who had stabbed me making a second thrust, whereupon, letting go my sabre, I caught his bayonet by the socket, turned the thrust, and raised myself up by the exertion, grasped his firelock with both hands, thus in mortal struggle regaining my feet." His companions had now come up, and I heard the dying cries of the four men with me, who were all instantly bayoneted. We had been attacked from behind by men not before seen, and as we stood with our backs to a doorway, out of which must have rushed several men, for all were stabbed in an instant, before the two parties coming up the road reached us. They did so, however, just as my struggle with the man who had wounded me was begun, that was a contest for life, and being the strongest, I forced him between myself and his comrades, who appeared to be the men whose lives I had saved when they pretended to be dead on our advance through the village. They struck me with their muskets, clubbed and bruised me much, whereupon seeing no help near and being overpowered by numbers and in great pain from my wounded leg, I called out, Je me ronde! remembering the expression correctly from an old story of a fat officer whose name being James called out Jemmy Round. Finding they had no disposition to spare me, I kept hold of the musket, vigorously defending myself with the body of the little Italian who had first wounded me, but I soon grew faint, or rather tired. At that moment, a tall, dark man came up, seized the end of the musket with his left hand, whirled his brass-hilted sabre around and struck me a powerful blow on the head, which was bare, for my cocked hat had fallen off. Expecting the blow would finish me, I had stooped my head in hopes it might fall on my back, or at least on the thickest part of my head, and not on the left temple. So far I succeeded, for it fell exactly on the top, cutting me to the bone, but not through it. Fire sparkled from my eyes. I fell on my knees, blinded but not quite losing my senses and holding still onto the musket. Recovering in a moment, I saw a florid, handsome young French drummer holding the arm of the dark Italian, who was in the act of repeating the blow. Quarter was then given, but they tore my pantaloons in, tearing my watch and purse from my pocket, and a little locket of hair which hung round my neck. But while this went on, two of them were wounded, and the drummer, Gubert, ordered the dark man who had sabred me to take me to the rear. 
When we began to move, I resting on him because he hardly able to walk, I saw him look back over his shoulder to see if Gubert was gone, and so did I, for his rascally face made me suspect him. Gubert's back was towards us. He was walking off, and the Italian again drew his sword, which he had before sheathed. I called out to the drummer, This rascal is going to kill me! Brace Frenchmen, don't kill prisoners! Gubert rang back, swore furiously at the Italian, shoved him away, almost down, and putting his arms around my waist, supported me himself. Thus this generous Frenchman saved me twice, for the Italian was bent upon slaying. Well, we finish with a lighter account from 1516. It's undated, and it's by John Leo, who was born in Granada, but brought up in Morocco and travelled widely in North Africa as a young man. This is his account of a performing ass he saw in Cairo. The suburb, called Beb Eloch, being distant from the walls of Cairo, about the space of a mile, and containing almost 3,000 families, is inhabited by merchants and artisans of diverse sorts. Upon a certain large place of this suburb stands a great palace and a stately college, built by a certain Mameluk, called Jazbak, being counsellor unto the soldan of those times, and the place itself is called after his name, Jazbakia. Hither, after Mahometan sermons and devotions, the common people of Cairo, together with the boards and harlots, do usually resort, and many stage players also, and such as teach camels, asses and dogs to dance, which dancing is a thing very delightful to behold, and especially that of the ass, who having frisked and danced a while, his master comes unto him and tells him with a loud voice that the soldan being about to build some great palace must use all the asses of Cairo to carry mortar, stones and other necessary provision. Then the ass, falling presently to the ground and lying with his heels upward, makes his belly to swell and closes his eyes as if he was stark dead. In the meanwhile, his master, lamenting the misfortune of the ass unto the standers-by, earnestly craves their friendly assistance and liberality to buy him a new ass. And having gathered of each one as much money as he can get, you are much deceived, my masters, quoth he, that think mine ass to be dead. For the hungry jade, knowing his master's necessity, hath wrought this slight, to the end he might get some money to buy him provender. Then turning about to the ass, he commands him with all speed to arise. But the ass lies stark still, though he command and beat him never so much. Whereupon, turning again to the people, Be it known, quoth he, unto you all, that the soldan hath published an edict or proclamation, that to-morrow next all the people shall go forth of the city to behold a triumph, and that all the honourable and beautiful ladies and gentlewomen shall ride upon the most comely asses, and shall give them oats to eat, and crystal water of Nile to drink. With words being scarce ended, the ass suddenly, the ass suddenly starts from the ground, prancing and leaping for joy. Then his master, prosecuting still his narration, but, says he, the warden of our street has borrowed this goodly ass of mine for his deformed and old wife to ride upon. At these words the ass, as though he were endued with human reason, couches his ears and limps with one of his legs as if it were quite out of joint. Then, says his master, what, Sir Jade, are you so in love with fair women? The ass, nodding his head and seeming to say, yea, come on, therefore, sirrah, quoth his master, and let us see among all these pretty damosels which pleaseth your fancy most. 
Whereupon the ass going about the company and espying some woman more comely and beautiful than the rest walks directly unto her and touches her with his head. And then the beholders laugh and cry out, Amen! Lo, the ass's paramour, the paramour of the ass! Whereupon the fellow that showed all this sport, leaping upon the back of his ass, rides to some other place. Listening to the Witnesses of History podcast with Jeff Lumley. The music was by Eric Matthias. www.soundimage.org.